Otherwise, if you don't get up, then you're wicked because you stayed down. So praise God for David. He's a good representation of that. 1 Samuel 26. Let's stand if we can, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at the first five verses uh, in our initial reading and then looking at the large majority of the chapter here tonight. The Bible says, And the Ziphites came unto Saul uh, to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hakalil, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hakalil, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of the host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. I gave the title away this morning in my message, but here it is, How to Handle Bitter People. We talked about the danger of, uh, not, uh, of an unforgiving spirit within the home this morning. Maybe you live with someone who is bitter. Maybe you work with someone who is bitter. Maybe your neighbor is bitter. They keep blowing the leaves on your lawn, right? Uh, I don't know who it is in your life is bitter. Maybe there's no one at the moment, but... We all deal with folks on some level that are embittered, and sometimes they can really threaten and challenge our quality of life. And when that happens, how do we handle them? Well, I don't know that that David, the story of David and Saul here gives us every method or every truth, but I think there's several things we can observe out of this story here this evening that will help us to see. Let's look at this passage tonight. Let's pray. God, thank you for our church. Bless our time here now in this service. And Spirit of God, take the truths and drive them home to each heart individually. And Lord, help us to leave here more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 is a verse that uh, I have grown up hearing, uh, one that's very important, one that has greatly challenged me as someone who is a shoot, uh, shoot first, ask questions later, act first, ask questions later type guy, this is a verse that I have needed to really help me hone in on staying emotionally in control. The verse says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. No rule over his own spirit. This verse describes King Saul, describes him. Uh, we talked about this morning, we talked about the emotions of a bitter man or woman. You can experience some of these emotions without being bitter, uh, but uh, bitterness is expressed through these emotional distresses. We looked at this morning how an unforgiving, bitter spirit can cause one to feel worthlessness, self-pity, depression, anger, fear, and the main one is revenge. Bitter people seek revenge. They're looking to get Back, Even if they're bitter at themselves, while they will punish themselves, they'll also lash out at others. They'll lash out at others. We all have a circle of people in our lives. We can distance ourselves uh, from those who are not our family, but have less options with those directly related to us, especially when they live in our own home. Uh, and when that is the case, how do you handle a bitter person when they live under the same roof as you do? And when you have to share the abode with them, you can you can distance yourself at work. Uh, you can avoid your neighbor. Uh, you, you can uh, uh, work hard to stay away from that person in the, in the church auditorium. But when you live at home with them and they're playing, 
plagued with a bitter spirit, how do you deal with that? Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 24 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. To all of the single people here today, whether you're a small child or an adult that's single, let me really encourage you that if you are uh, one day interested in uh, someone to marry, boy, make sure they don't have an anger problem. Make sure they're not someone who is plagued with an angry spirit because the Bible says that you're not to make a friendship with an angry man. Proverbs 26, 4 says this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. I've always conflated, always took, taken one part of the verse and the other part of the verse and put them together. Uh, I, I have quoted oftentimes, Make no friendship with an angry man, lest thou be like him, like unto him. But those are two separate verses. But I believe the same truths there apply, is that when you're dealing with a foolish man, you're dealing with an angry man, someone who has the flesh in control, if you spend time around them, if you are uh, friends with them, you will become like them. You will become like them. Think of a man who marries a woman who has an anger problem, or vice versa, a woman who marries a man with an anger problem. And you may be the spouse that did not have an anger problem when you get married, but boy, two or three years into that marriage, now both of you have an anger problem. Both of you have a bitterness problem. And what happens here is that uh, the, the, the sin of one will rub off on another. It's the old analogy of uh, a bad apple spoils the bunch, right? You, you can have a bunch of good apples and you put a bad apple in there and leave it and, long, long, and wait long enough and all of the apples get bad. The good apples don't change the bad apple into a good apple. It always works the other way around. And when you are uh, around a bad apple and you're not guarding your spirit, you're not walking with God, they're going to spoil your spirit. Someone who is bitter is someone steeped in folly. They're steeped in anger. When you become close uh, or are in close proximity with someone else who is bitter, they very well can, very likely will defile your spirit with bitterness just the same. God calls the believer to a life of emotional freedom. He calls the believer to a life of of emotional freedom. God calls the believer to live a life of emotional rest. Over and over again, uh, Scripture talks about rest. God rested on the seventh day. Jesus said to come into Him and we would rest and um, uh, th- that we've labored. Hebrews 4 says that we're to believe unto a rest. There is a rest for the people of God. And I don't believe that rest just means that you get a good night's sleep. I believe that is an emotional and a spiritual rest all the same. God calls the believer to a life of joy and and peace. These are fruits of the Spirit. Now, you, can, you, you cannot overcome an angry spirit with a fleshly response. This is a big part of my message tonight, so please understand what I'm saying here. You have a bitter person in your life, you chewing them out and letting them have it and putting them in their place, you are not going to correct their bitter heart. Because they're acting in the flesh, and now you're acting in the flesh. I see this with parents. You have a child who's disobedient and throwing a temper tantrum and acting like a, uh, just, just acting like a small child would act, and mom and dad lose their cool and start yelling at the child and berating the child. And listen, you are fighting sin with sin. You're fighting sin. And you know why that child's going to obey you? Because you're bigger than them and they have no choice. You know, if that happened at school, we'd call it you being a bully. But at home now, it's, you know, we, we say, well, that's just parenting. No, no, no. No, listen, you don't fight a fleshly action 
with fleshly action. Someone is bitter, you're not going to correct that with a, uh, you're not going to successfully correct them. They're not going to change because of a f- fleshly response. Rather, uh, with, you should, you should respond, uh, being led by the Holy Spirit and with a sober-minded attitude. Sometimes God uses a godly man or woman to help someone recover from bitterness, and other times the bitter soul never changes. But please understand what I'm going to tell you here. If you have a bitter person in your life, it is not your duty to change them. It's not. If you if you uh, make a mark of success on whether or not they stop being bitter and get right, you are very likely setting yourself up for failure. It is very, very important uh, uh, for all of us in here to understand that you cannot change anybody. You can't. I can't change you. You can't change me. You say, well, pastor, aren't you trying to change people when you stand up and preach? No, I'm trying to convey truth. In my prayer, every sermon before I preach, I pray every single time before I get up to preach that the Holy Spirit of God will take the truths that I preach and He will change you. Because I can't change you. You can't change me. You have that person in your life who is uh, uh, bitter and and, and nasty toward you. And you think, well, I'm going to show them. I'll give them the cold shoulder. I'm going to show them. I'm going to lay them out let them have it. I'm going to tell them exactly how it is. Well, don't don't say anything to me because all I do is, uh, is I speak truth. And I tell it like it is. Well, sometimes you're telling it like it is as you trying to be the Holy Spirit. Maybe the best thing you can do is get down, really, not maybe, The best thing you can do for someone who is bitter is get on your knees and pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for God to change them from the inside out instead of you trying to change them from the outside in. Changing someone is not the goal. It cannot be the goal. It is not your responsibility. And if you try to change someone, uh, you will be sorely disappointed more times than not. Shining your light and being at peace within your heart in the face of bitterness, and other uh, times uh, the bitter soul. uh, Listen, that is the goal. The goal is to shine the light of the gospel and leave it to God to change them. That might mean they never, ever change. Listen, David never did anything wrong that we know of to King Saul. Uh, David never did anything deserving of Saul's bitterness toward him. David, watch this, never changed Saul's bitter heart. He never changed Saul's bitter heart. But David did not let Saul pull him down. David did not let Saul destroy his faith. Let's look at two main thoughts this evening. I hope you received a, uh, an outline on your way in. I encourage you to take notes on this. I'm going to give you some things tonight that I think will help you understand how to help a bitter person. And uh, look, and I'm all for uh, Some people say, oh, I, I like to listen, and, and I don't want to feel like I'm in a classroom. I get all that. Uh, I think sometimes certain messages it's good uh, to write down because now you're not just listening with your ears. You're also uh, recording it with your hand. And that's just one more sense engaged there that will help this message stick. And I believe that this can be a, a, a chart of how you can help people who are bitter that you can reference back to. So let me encourage you really to write down, take notes tonight, even if you normally don't. Number one, notice Saul's stirring. Saul's Stirring. This morning we looked at the genesis or beginning of bitterness and we said it comes from either our own sin or the sin of others. In Saul's case, it was his own sin that made him a bitter old man. David had done nothing but show kindness to Saul. Saul was envious of David. There was nothing that David could do about it. There was nothing David 
could do about it. It was not David's fault that Saul sinned. It was not David's fault that he had been anointed to be the next king. It was not David's fault that he had slain Goliath. It was not David's fault that the ladies had sung, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. It was not David's fault that he had avoided the javelin twice. It was not David's fault that he was a rising star in the kingdom while Saul was on his way out. David had done no wrong, but Saul was stirred up in David's direction. Uh, take your Bibles over to James 3. James 3. When someone is bitter, they become enslaved to a set of emotions that are torturous. Someone is bitter, they become enslaved to a set of emotions that are torturous. They are being tortured by their emotions because inwardly they are defiled. Uh, we saw this morning out of Hebrews, they are defiled. Their heart is defiled. They've, especially if they're saved, they've disappointed uh, God and they're being destroyed from the inside out. They are miserable on the inside and they are looking to pour out that misery on anyone who looks to be successful. Uh, they are envious of that success oftentimes and their bitter heart will cause Caused them to pour that out. Now, in Saul's head, he knew that David was a good man and was not his enemy. But he, in, in, but in his embittered heart, he hated David. Look at James three. Look at verse number thirteen. Verse thirteen. It says, "Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have Bitter envyings and strife in your hearts. That describes Saul. Bitter envyings and strife in your hearts. Glory not and lie not against the truth. The wisdom, uh, this wisdom descendeth not from above. Look here. Is earthly, sensual, devilish. Okay? Uh, These words describe King Saul. Bitter envyings and strife in his heart. He was earthly. He was sensual. He was behaving in a way that was devilish. Verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion, confusion, and every evil work. Uh, Saul's whole life was tumult and confusion in him seeking down uh, David to assassinate him, to murder him. That was an evil work. Verse 17 goes on and says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then peaceable, by the way, these actions or the, these, uh, these attributes describe David's response. Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace and of them that make peace. Saul lacked the fruit of righteousness and peace because he was following earthly wisdom. Notice the behavior of Saul as a result of his bitterness. Letter A, he was unable to keep his word. He was unable to keep his word. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 26 with me and look at verse number 1. Now, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 26, David is still hiding out. He's moving around the country to various places of of wilderness, uh, uh, rural people groups. He's hiding out with his 600 men, anticipating that Saul is going to be stirred back up and not wanting to let down his guard. He is hiding out. Chapter 26, verse 1, the Bible says, And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? Saul's response should have been, It does not matter. It does not matter where David's hiding out, because I've already told David that he's God's anointed, that he will be king. I've already told David that I'm not going to bother him 
It does not matter where David's hiding out. And, they, and Saul had given his word. Turn back over to 1 Samuel 19 and look at verse number 6. And uh, we looked at this passage uh, a month or two ago, and we saw how that uh, Jonathan had convinced Saul to leave David alone. And look at 19, verse 6. This is the tail end of that conversation with Jonathan. The Bible says, And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. He shall not be slain. Uh, Saul said, I will not kill him, only to turn around a few verses later and try to kill him. And uh, um, we know shortly after making this promise, he threw a javelin at David and tried to kill him. He was unable to keep his word. Just a couple of chapters from our principal text. David had spared Saul's life in a cave. Remember, he cut off his his uh, his robe there. and he, uh, Saul made nice with David, but here we are again, and Saul's hunting down his enemy, trying to kill him. When someone does not pull up the root of bitterness from their heart, they can find themselves in the place as Saul, unable to keep their word. Unable to keep their word. They claim they forgive. They claim they're moving on, but they can't. They can't. Because they are a slave to envy and bitterness. They're a slave to envy and bitterness. Outwardly, they say all of the right things. They may even go to an altar in a church service and bend a knee and say, I forgive. But inward, that root of bitterness defiles. And they say they're moving on, but they find themselves unable to keep their word. Uh, how do you know if someone is bitter? Well, don't be shocked. When a bitter person says something and goes back on it, regresses on it, don't be shocked when someone who's bitter uh, says they're moving on and can't. Don't be shocked by that because just like Saul, they are embittered and they can't let it go. You say, I didn't do anything to him. Understand, David did nothing to Saul. Saul was bitter because Saul had sinned. And in Saul's sin, he had become uh, embittered. And sometimes you've done nothing against that other person. You found them bitter uh, uh, or they became bitter off of your watch outside of any action of yours. And they're unable to keep their word with you even though you've done nothing to them. Letter B, we see he was quick to seek vengeance. He was quick to seek vengeance. Look at chapter 26. And look at verse number 2, 1 Samuel 26 and verse 2. The Bible says, Then Saul arose and went down in the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Not only does an embittered person not keep, his, not keep their word, they seek vengeance. They seek vengeance. Again, James 3.15 says, the, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is Earthly, it is sensual, it is devilish. Earthly, sensual, devilish. We know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. But when someone is filled with, vengeance, uh, with bitterness, they take that which belongs to God upon themselves. They're wrathful inwardly. They're bitter inwardly. And now it is on them to punish the person who's caused them to be bitter or the person they are projecting their own sin on. 
This morning we talked about how we like to play the blame game, right? Adam pointed to Eve, Eve pointed at the snake, and uh, marriages ever since have been filled with a co- a, a two people who point the finger at each other when marriages aren't working out, or employers and employees that point the finger at each other when things don't go right on the job site, or uh, a child and a parent who point the finger at each other at while the child, why the child didn't turn out right. And uh, We love to blame other people. We love to make excuses for ourselves. We lack personal responsibility in our culture today. And uh, listen, it is natural for us to want to point the finger. And it could be uh, your fault that you did wrong. Or it could be that person's fault in your life who's embittered as to why they are bitter. But they will project and cast blame onto you. And then they will constantly seek vengeance on you. They'll seek to punish you. And another interesting thought here is that the word vengeance and wrath come from the same root word uh, in the Greek. And they both uh, come from the same word because to be wrathful inward and to seek vengeance from inward are the same concept. Here we see that Saul uh, uh, markers attributes of his bitterness. He uh, was unable to keep his word. He was quick to seek vengeance. Notice letter C, he, his use of unnecessary force, his use of unnecessary force. Look at chapter uh, 26 and verse 2 again. The Bible says, Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Zip. Look here. Having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Zip. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hekelah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. Saul is acting in an exaggeratory manner. David is hiding out in the woods with 600 men. Saul takes 3,000 men. And these weren't just, you know, privates that just came out of boot camp. Uh, These were like army rangers, navy seals. These were the elite of the elite. The Bible says they were chosen men. He went and got 3,000 of Israel's best soldiers and said, let's go hunt us uh, a man named David, let's take him out. Uh, listen, I've, I've seen documentaries on our assassination of Osama bin Laden, and we landed a couple of helicopters in there with SEAL Team 6, and uh, we went right into that compound and in, in just moments took him out. Um, think about a SEAL Team 6 type going after David. This is excessive. This is excessive. Um, oftentimes when people are bitter... They retaliate against their enemy with great excessiveness. They may lash out in rage. If an authority figure is bitter, he or she may overpunish in certain areas in order to make their point. I've seen this in school. I've seen this uh, where you, I've had teachers growing up through school. I've had teachers who their personal lives were a wreck. And while they didn't come to school and talk about them, you could just kind of tell. You could kind of tell that their life was filled with havoc and chaos. And they'd come to school and their life was a wreck. And and instead of just giving you the allotted punishment, they would over-respond and and retaliate and, 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 and punish in excess. I've seen parents do this where you have a mom and dad who have a sin struggle and then they begin to see that same sin struggle be repeated in their child. And instead of just punishing them at a cold, calculated, matter-of-fact type matter, uh, they over-punish the child for a sin because, in essence, they're bitter at themselves for struggling with this and they're, 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 there's excessiveness 
in their force. Uh, they're bitter in their heart, and they're pouring out that wrath. I've seen people do this uh, within a, a church body where someone is upset with someone else, and they'll hop on social media and they'll rip that person to shreds because they're pouring out unnecessary force in order to make their point. They're pouring out that vengeance in a way that is seemingly out of balance and out of bounds. You may remember the story where um, uh, after David was king and, and he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had Uriah uh, killed in the heat of the battle. You may remember the story that Nathan came. You remember the story about Nathan coming in and he says to David, he says, I have a parable to tell you. He says, there was a rich farmer that had lots of sheep and he had a neighbor who had one little ewe lamb. And the rich farmer was having some company over and was going to have a feast. And he went and he stole the one little ewe lamb and he cooked it up real big and, um, uh, and served that to his friends. He robbed this man of that one little ewe lamb that was like family to him. Then Nathan looked at David and said, what should be done to the man? And David, who right in, the, in this parable, he is the rich farmer who stole the one little ewe lamb. And, and, and David, because of his guilty conscience, David, because he was probably entering a point of being embittered at himself, he fired back, the man should be put to death. Put to death over stealing a lamb? David, don't you think that is excessive force? Don't you think your response is over the top? And uh, yes, the answer uh, is that that was over the top. And Nathan stuck his finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. And that began David's repentance and getting his heart right. But what, what do bitter people do? Well, oftentimes when uh, a little thing will set them off, and instead of them responding in a way that's rational, they explode and they blow up uh, the use of unnecessary force. If you live with someone or are in constant contact with someone who struggles to keep their word and they're quick to seek vengeance and they use unnecessary force, you're dealing with someone who is a bitter person. So we see, number one, Saul's stirring. Number two, let's notice David's sobriety. David's sobriety. How do you handle a bitter person? That's the title of the sermon uh, this evening, how to handle a bitter person. Well, David sets out a perfect model for us. And the key to this is that when someone is expressing insanity, because that's what anger is, it's insanity. Living in a spirit of rage is to live in a place where you are not rational, emotionally rational. The only way to handle this is to handle it with a sober mind. And the Bible has a lot to say about a sober mind. Let's do a quick Bible study on sobriety, a sober mind. Turn over to Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans 12. Let's look at a handful of verses before we hop in and look at specifically David's response. I think it's important that we lay the foundation for David here and explain that in 1 Samuel 26, David is a man of sobriety. He is a man of a sober mind. He's going to handle Saul not with emotion, emotional bitterness. He's going to handle Saul with emotional stability. He's going to handle Saul with a, a, a God-like attitude. Look at Romans chapter 12 and look at verse 3. It says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, look here, but to think soberly, soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 
1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And look at verse number 6. And I'm just, I'm, I just cherry-picked a handful of verses out of the Bible. There are more in the Scriptures that talk about being sober-minded or living soberly, thinking soberly. But let's just look at a few of them here. 1 Thessalonians 5, look at verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Look here. But let us watch and be sober, be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Uh, Listen, uh, while I'm on this, one good reason for Christians to stay away from any alcoholic beverages is because when you are putting that in your body, you do not have a sober mind. You say, oh, well, I just get buzzed. Well, if you're buzzed, you're not sober. You're not sober. God is called. Listen, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. People want to argue over the semantics of, of wine in the New Testament and, and where the Scriptures stand on that. And I've heard all of the arguments to the place where it, it drives me nuts. And I, I just want to say this principally. Principally, the whole entire Christian life cannot be lived unless you are sober-minded sober-minded. Anything that you put in your body, whether it is a drug, uh, alcohol would be a drug, but whether it's a drug, uh, whether it is an excessive amount of food, I'll give you an example. If I take in too much starch, I get really grouchy. I get really grouchy. If I go and I just scarf down starch, uh, an excessive amount of it. Remember Angela and I, we went on a trip one time and we were having a great day. Weather was nice, just her and I. We were by ourselves, and we sat down at this uh, restaurant right outside of Lancaster. It was not Shady Maple. It was another restaurant. Uh, uh, so Shady Maple gets a pass on that, Pastor Andrew. You cannot sin it. No, you probably can't sin it, Shady Maple. Amen? Lots of gluttony going on at Shady Maple. How many of you here have ever eaten at Shady Maple in uh, Lancaster? If you haven't, it's a great place. Don't, don't commit gluttony, okay? Uh, but um, uh, we were at a restaurant, and I sat down, and I had a big meal. And, I mean, I had French fries and a baked potato. And then I got a very carb-rich dessert. And you know what the rest of the day I was? I was a grouch. I was very hard to live with. I felt bad for my poor wife. I think we got back to the hotel where we were staying. I went on a long, long walk. Whatever it is that you put in your... And by the way, Baptists love to preach against alcohol and cigarettes, but Baptists don't like to preach against overeating. Did you know they're all in the Bible? Right? Sometimes we have to put our stones down and quit uh, judging people over their sins while we give ourselves a pass on our sins. God's called us to be sober-minded. Turn over to Titus chapter 2 and look at verse 6. Paul tells Titus as he's helping him know how to pastor these churches on the island of Crete. He says, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. He said, get your young men together. Get your young men in your churches together and instruct them to quit acting like juveniles Get them to grow up and teach these young men. They are to be sober-minded. They are to be serious. Look down at verse 12, Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We are called to be men and women of emotional 
sobriety, so, uh, uh, sober-mindedness. As we look at David's response to Saul's hunting him down, we see a man who behaved himself with a sober mind. What did that look like? Let's go back to 1 Samuel 26. Now that we've established sobriety, the importance of being sober-minded, let's look at David's response to this embittered man, Saul. Saul, who's chasing him down yet again, trying to kill him. Letter A, notice, as speaking of David here, he was careful. He was careful. Look back at verse 4, 1 Samuel 26, and look at verse 4. The Bible says, David, therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. Technically, in chapter 26, technically David was not supposed to be an outlaw. He had made nice with King Saul back in 24. But David did not trust Saul, nor should have he. He stayed in hiding. He had spies keeping constant watch. Um, he had men who were making sure that his safety was constantly protected. Now, did David trust God during this time? Yes. Yes, he did. Does trusting God mean that we can just throw uh, fate to the wind and just say, well, I'll just be careless and live how I want. God's going to keep me safe. By the way, David could have said, I'm anointed to be Israel's next king, and so uh, I can't die. I can do whatever I want. Let's go skydiving, right? Let's jump off a cliff and see how well how God keeps me alive. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. We need to walk by faith. But God has given you common sense as well, right? And you need to walk by faith while you walk by sense. Here David, he's being careful. He knows that Saul is an angry man. He knows that Saul is a bitter man. He knows that Saul, given the opportunity, will kill him, especially when that evil spirit from the Lord starts to stir up within him again. I have preached and will continue to do so that forgiving does not mean trusting. I said that this morning. I've said it many, many times. Oftentimes, people will not forgive because they think that means they must trust. David had forgiven Saul totally, but did not trust him any further than he could throw him. Some people forgive and trust only to their own hurt. And I would just say to all of you this evening, don't be naive. Don't be naive. He was careful. You have someone in your life who has hurt you. You have someone in your life who is bitter. Be careful. Be careful. Uh, don't set yourself up to be taken advantage of over and over and over again. You be careful. And uh, these individual situations can be sticky. And uh, you say, well, pastor, if you knew my situation, I don't know how to be careful. And I can't address every individual situation. We'd be here until this time next week. Because there's as many situations as we can come up with. You get counsel and you get help. And before you get counsel and help, you get on your knees and you pray. And you ask God to give you wisdom to know how to handle these things. And then you seek out advice on, uh, on exactly what to do. Uh, but uh, uh, the important truth I want to drive home here is that when it came to Saul, David was very careful. He was very careful. I will say this uh, more broadly, is that if the person in your life who is bitter is not related to you and does not live under your home, you would be wise to keep your distance from them. 
You would be wise to keep your distance. You say, oh, well, they're not bitter toward me. Listen, you do not want to hang out with bitter people. You do not want to hang out. Can you help them? Yes. Can you counsel them? Yes. Can you encourage them? Yes. You shouldn't be best buddy with them. You shouldn't be best buddy with them. You be careful. We see with David here, he's acting in a way that is sober-minded. He's dealing with Saul, who is bitter. We see letter A, he was careful. Letter B, he lived by convictions. He lived by convictions. Look back at 1 Samuel 26. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. So they're bedding down for the night. And David beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of the host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and Abishai the son of Zeruiah, however you say that, amen, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. Are you seeing this here? We're going to read verse 9 in just a moment. Are you seeing this here? 3,000 men are sleeping. They're, they're in camps. Uh, later in the passage, the Bible says that God had put them under a deep sleep. Abner, who is Saul's right-hand man, his, gen, his general, is sleeping right next to him. David and Abishai sneak up into the camp. And there is Saul. He's, he's zeeing out, right? He's snoozing away. If he had sleep apnea, he's probably snoring. Amen? There he is. He's sleeping away. He's under a deep sleep. He's probably snoring. His spear is stuck in the ground next to him. And his canteen, his water canteen is right next to him. And uh, David's standing there looking at him. You're talking about being in a vulnerable spot. This man who has tried to kill him multiple times, this man who is standing between him and the kingdom to be the next king, is laying right there. A spear is right there. Now, in 1 Samuel 17, he drew the sword and he cut the giant's head off. He had no problem killing people. Had no problem. He's a man of war. He looked down at him and Abishai. I love Abishai. I just love Abishai. Uh, if you go into 2 Samuel and um, uh, uh, Absalom is running David off the throne... The same man, Abishai, is right by his side there. And a Benjaminite is uh, throwing stones and dirt at David on his way out. Someone who is akin to Saul. He's throwing stones at him and calling him names. And Abishai, the same guy, uh, later on in his kingdom, says to David, Let me take his head off. Abishai here says, Here we go. You've got to love a man in Abishai who was by David's side from the beginning all the way to the end. All the way to the end. And he had David's back in every sense of the term. He was ready to kill him for David. But David was a man who lived by convictions. Look at verse 9. David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, The Lord shall smite him. 
or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. David had made up his mind a long, long time ago he was not going to kill Saul. It did not matter what Saul did. It mattered that he lived by his own convictions. When you operate from a point of emotional stability and you're dealing with someone who is emotionally unstable, you will not react to their bitterness. You will not react to their unstable set of emotions with unstable emotions. You will react from a point of conviction. You will react from a set choice of decisions that the Word of God makes for you. You see, because while they're throwing bitterness at you, you're throwing peace back at them. And while they're throwing anger at you, you're throwing gentleness back their direction. And here, they are throwing spite and vengeance your direction, and you're throwing love and joy and temperance back at them. So oftentimes, when we have bitter people in our life, we don't respond in a way that's biblical. We respond in a way that is reactionary to what we're getting. I'm going to make this statement here. I'd encourage you to write this down. Sober-minded people trust God to seek vengeance on their behalf. Sober-minded people trust God to seek vengeance on their behalf. Someone's mistreating you, maligning you, calling you names, putting you down, being nasty toward you, uh, maybe even ripping you on uh, uh, out in the public square, uh, whatever manner that is. They're, they're going around and they're gossiping about you. Listen, God knows the truth. Eventually, everyone rises or falls to the level of their own character. Trust God uh, with the outcome. Let time and let God use time to reveal the character of them and the character of yourself. Turn over to Psalm 64. Psalm 64. I do not know when Psalm 64 was written. I do not know if it is in conjunction with this passage. But uh, the principles that David is expressing in 1 Samuel 26 are so uh, eloquently uh, expressed here in Psalm 64. Look at verse number 1. We're going to read the entire chapter here. And watch the convictions that David lived by in the face of Saul's stirring, Saul's bitterness. The Bible says, Hear my voice, O God. In my prayer, preserve my life from fear of the enemy. I picture David running from Saul as he writes this. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet or sharpen their tongue like a sword, and bend their bow to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. There was a disinformation campaign going on around the country about David all the while. They, they, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. They commune of laying snares uh, privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. But the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. This is exactly how Saul died. He was wounded in battle and then killed himself. All that see them shall flee away. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider of his doing. Look at verse 10. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him. 
and all the upright in heart shall glory. That person in your life who is bitter and acting in a way that is just unstable, they're seeking vengeance at every turn. They're unable to keep their word. They're using unnecessary force in your direction. And you say, how do I respond? You respond by living by convictions. We see letter A, he was careful. Letter B, he lived by convictions. Letter C, he showed compassion. He showed compassion. Boy, what I'm about to say under this subpoint here, if you will be able to grasp this down in your heart and put it into practice, uh, my friend, you will graduate and elevate to a whole nother level of Christianity. 1 Samuel 26, verse number 11. Look back at chapter 26 and verse number 11. The Bible says, The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and cruise of water from Saul's bolster. And they got them away, and no man saw it, nor knew it, neither awaked. For they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon him, upon them. It can be so easy to hyper-focus on someone on how someone has so deeply hurt us that we lose sight of how broken the person is that emotionally injured us. All we see is how they treated us. All we see is the offense from them to us. Can you believe they talked to me like that? Can you believe they posted that about me? Can you believe they're acting in such a nasty way my direction? And When you're focused on how someone has hurt you, what you are focused on is yourself. You're focused on yourself. You cannot love your enemy if you are only focused on yourself. You cannot do it. You cannot love your enemy if all you are doing is focusing on how they have hurt you. If you've experienced trauma, then please get help from God's Word and God's people. But please understand this simple truth. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Oh, that is so vital for you to not only understand with your ears, but to completely grasp with your heart. If you are the one that's been hurt, then please don't turn around and continue that cycle. You get help, and so the cycle can stop with you. Hurting people hurt people. I get, the, I get the idea that as David stood over a sleeping King Saul that he looked at him and felt great pity for this broken, miserable man. He wasn't angry at him. He wasn't angry at him. He felt pity for him. When someone mistreats you, follow this formula. I would encourage you to flip your bulletin around there, your outline around, and write this down. And if you're not able to write it all down, I don't believe this is going to be on the screen. If you're not able to write this all down, you can come get it from me after church. This is the formula that I follow as a pastor when someone is nasty with me. Number one, ask. Ask, am I at fault for this person's attitude toward me? Am I at fault? Probably the simple shorthand would be to write, am I at fault? If yes... Seek to resolve the problem with humility. If yes, seek to resolve the problem with humility. 
I'll say that again. Ask, am I at fault? If yes, seek to resolve the problem with humility. In David's case, he was not at fault. If no, then proceed to step two. Number two, try and understand what caused their brokenness. Try and understand what caused their brokenness. When I have someone who is nasty my direction, I take the time to think about what they've gone through in their life and how hurt they are. I take the time to think about an injustice that happened to them in their past. I make excuses for them. Really, is really what I'm doing. You learn to make excuses for people, you're going to be emotionally free from being angry and bitter toward people. Try and understand what caused their brokenness. Number three, number three, feel pity and empathy. Feel pity and empathy. You have someone who's been abusive to you, verbally, emotionally abusive toward you, and you're now separated from them and not living under that constant barrage of nastiness. Take the time and ask, what caused them to be so nasty? What, uh, what brokenness have they experienced in their life prior to meeting me? And then ask God to give you a heart of empathy and pity. Number four, number four, pray for them. Pray for them. In my prayer life, I have a list of people who I pray for. These are people who are embittered. And I ask God to bless them. I ask God to heal them. I ask God to help them. I weep over these people. And some of these people don't like me very much. But I love them. And I weep over them. You know what we call this? We call this Matthew 5.44 Christianity. This is loving your enemy. This is doing good to them uh, that curse you and praying for them that despitefully use you. You know, if you're going to follow through on Christ's command to love, then you better come up with a plan to understand why they're broken. You better come up with a plan to show empathy and compassion their direction. You better come up with a plan so that you can bend a knee and obey the Lord and pray for them. By the way, you can't be successful in this world when it comes to bitter people if you don't learn how to pray for your enemies. Pray for them. I don't care who it is, and I don't care what they've uh, done to you. I've had some people do some horrible things to me and my family. And for every one of them that's hurt me and my family, I have been to knee and I have prayed for God to heal them. David showed compassion in the face of Saul's bitterness. David prayed that God would be the rewarder of both righteousness, righteousness and sin. We've seen uh, letter A. Uh, let me back up here. Look at my notes. I turned the page and I'm already forgetting my own sermon. Amen? Letter A, he was careful. Letter B, lived by convictions. Letter C, he showed compassion. Lastly, letter D, notice he confronted. He confronted. Look at 1 Samuel 26. And verse 13. We're going to read down through verse number 20. Is this sermon helping anybody tonight? Amen? Look at verse 13. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of, a, of an hill afar off. A great space being between them. David's going to taunt Abner here. And David cried to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that cries to the king? Yeah, he's not addressing the king, Abner, he's addressing you. And David said to Abner, Art thou not a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? 
Wherefore then hast thou not kept the word, uh, the Lord the king? For there came out of the people in to destroy the king thy Lord. He's speaking of, of, Ab- uh, of Abishar here. Uh, the, uh, the, the thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my lord thus pursue after the servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the word of his servant. If the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, Therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel is come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountain. Notice that David maintained his distance. He was careful. But he still confronted Saul over his irrational behavior. Many times, people who are being hurt by a bitter person just absorb the pain caused and do not adequately and carefully confront. Everybody look up here at me. God has not called you to be a punching bag. God has not called you to sit there and take someone's nastiness over and over and over again. He has not called you to do that. It is inappropriate and it is wrong to match bitterness with your own personal nastiness it is equally inappropriate for you to handle someone's bitterness in silence and suffering. Listen, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. If you are just absorbing someone's pain and you're not dealing with it, you are not a peacemaker. You are an enabler. You are an enabler. And I don't say that to condemn you. I don't say that to guilt you. I say that to help you find the courage to learn how to confront someone's nastiness in your direction. God is not asking you to be a pushover, a punching bag. There is a place and a time for you to confront. This is the second time. Now David has confronted Saul over his embittered, irrational behavior. And the second time that David approached Saul over this was the last time he would have to because Saul got the point. And Saul never pursued David again. Confrontation works. Listen, if you choose not to confront, you're only leading uh, to that person feeling enabled to beat you down over and over and over again. As a parent, I'm constantly teaching my children, instructing my children, coaching my children on how to handle rubs they have with kids in their school. And this child did this to me, and this child did that to me. I don't hop in and call the parent and say, get your child to back off my child. No, I coach my children on how to carefully, scripturally, prayerfully confront in order to resolve the problem. And Christ has called you as an adult to do that with people who are embittered. There is a place and a time and a spirit 
You get on your knees and you pray and you ask God to give you the courage. And where it is necessary, you confront. Now, if that person in your life who is embittered and has hurt you is no longer an active part in your life, it is probably not necessary for you to confront. But if they are actively involved in your life and you have no other choice, then there is a place and time. And I would encourage you to pray about that. Get wisdom from heaven. And then seek counsel on that. And have God help you know how to handle each and every individual situation. Saul was bitter. David was not. David was better. David was sober-minded in the face of Saul's stirring of his bitter soul. And God used the sobriety of David uh, in order to teach all of us lessons on how to handle bitter people. I hope the message has helped you this evening. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Lord, these are practical truths. By, by no means is it a complete list on the topic. By no means is it a complete study on how to handle bitter people. But Lord, there are some lessons to be taken from this passage. And thank you for giving us this story in Scripture to show us a man who had your heart on this matter. And instead of plunging the spear through Saul as he laid there vulnerable, he showed him compassion. He let you handle vengeance. He lived by convictions. He operated in a mode of carefulness. And when the time was right, he confronted. Lord God, help us to take these truths and make them part of our daily routine. May they become instinctive inside of each of us. May we walk by the Spirit. May we have a heart for you in this matter. In Jesus' name.